1 Kings 19, uh, 3 and 4, and then we'll read a little bit in uh, 9 through 15 in the story of Elijah. Continuing our series called The Wall, we're talking about that uh, place in life where your spiritual journey seems to have taken, uh, has come to a dead end. In other words, the, the faith and the methods of your faith that have worked for you at other times in your life, you've come to a point in your life where they seem not to be working anymore. It seems like faith has failed you or God has failed you. I want to give you a, an example, not necessarily of the wall, but maybe of how the wall feels. When I was uh, about 15 years old, I uh, had kind of a dramatic uh, conversion into Christianity. My mother is a Christian. My father uh, is still not. And um, being concerned about him and praying for him, uh, I can remember when I think I was maybe had been saved for a year, been a Christian for a year or so. Uh, I can remember being so concerned about him and wanting him to become a believer. And I can remember he had an injury on his, uh, one of his legs, and it was really, really bothering him. He had, had uh, several problems with his knee. I don't know if it was a ligament tear. I don't remember. But uh, I can remember just thinking, I got it. I got it. I'm going to go. Uh, this is happening. I'm going to go pray for him, and uh, God's going to heal him. And when God heals him, there'll be no way for him to deny that God's real. There'll be no way for him to deny that God's not working, that God's not in his life. There'll be no way for him to deny that God loves him. So I'm going to go, as it were, put God on the spot. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this has got to work. It's got to work, right? Well, I mean, what? I know God loves him. I know God wants to save him. I know God's a healer. What could go wrong? I'm just going to go in there and it's going to work. So I, I went in there and I said, can I pray for you? And, and I was taught that the key to healing was to expect it by faith. So I, I went in there and I laid my hands on, I asked my dad, can I, who does, you know, believes in God but doesn't, never really had a relationship with that I know of, certainly had no fruit of any relationship. Laid my hands on his knee, started to pray for him. God, I'm asking you to touch his knee. Lord, I pray today that you'd show my dad that you love him. Lord, I pray today that you would heal his knee and uh, God recover him, restore him, heal him. Lord, I pray you would touch him by your power right now. Let him know how much you love him. And, and nothing happened. <laughs> Zero. And I thought this has got to happen because that's what I always heard. It's, the, it's those evangelism confrontations, right? And nothing happened. And, and it wasn't that I didn't expect. I mean, I, I was genuinely shocked. I was taken back. I thought, do you feel better? He said, no. I said, is the pain gone? He said, no. So I asked him the next day, how do you feel? Nothing. It's the same. And his leg never really, I mean, it recovered over time in a very normal way that could be completely uh, contributed to recovery, rest, and medicine. And when that happens, it creates a, a crisis in your faith. What do you do when you've done everything that you know to do right, and it doesn't seem like that God has kept up his end of the deal? What do you do? I've talked to a lot of people who, if you could boil their stories down to the lowest common denominator, it would somehow, some way sound like this. 
God let me down. This is, this is, I mean, at 16 years old, I had not hit the wall. You, if you remember the first message we did, there are stages of spiritual growth that you have to go through before you even get to the wall, and it takes years to go through them. And they're all good, and they're all right, and none of them are wrong, and none of them's preferable over another one. It's the movement through them that changes your life, just like uh, there's no wrong stage of, a- of adolescence or childhood. All stages are right, but we have to move through them to continue to grow. And when you hit that spot, it feels like I laid my heart on the line and I went for it and God wasn't there. Now, what is the wall? The wall is a place of doubt and fear and confusion. It's a mysterious place. It's different for everybody. It's where, it's where we've said that our will meets God's will face to face. Now, let me give you some examples of, of uh, times that we hit the wall. When we fail God, that can, be, that can be a way that we hit the wall. In times of sickness, could be a time we hit the wall. Crisis or tragedy, a time of extreme spiritual hunger or spiritual growth can cause us to hit the wall. Doctrinal challenges, when we realize that God is someone different than we thought he was. Now look, uh, somebody asked me this last week, so I want to clarify this. These are the kinds of things that are oftentimes going on on the outside when we hit the wall, but just because one of them is happening to you on the outside does not mean that you've hit the wall. It might just mean that you're human. It might mean that you're alive. It might mean that you're still living on earth that's broken and has not found its final redemption yet. Just because you have an external crisis doesn't mean you've hit the wall. The wall is not an external crisis. The wall is an internal crisis. The wall is a crisis of faith, not not of lack of the American dream. That's what the wall is. Now, I want to zero in on a character in Scripture that hit the wall, a story many of you will be familiar with, Elijah the prophet. 1 Kings 19 Before we get there, I want to set up the story so you'll know what happened before what we're going to read. Elijah was a prophet who challenged a wicked king, and it was basically a power confrontation like the one I was trying to have, except his worked. (laughs) He said, uh, 450 false prophets came, and he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have a challenge. You go and you pray to your God, and then I'm going to pray to my God, and whichever one shows up, That's the real God. So the 450 false prophets who worshipped Baal, they went and they prayed from morning until noon, and they danced around the altar, and around noon, Elijah started making fun of them. He said, hey, hey, why don't you shout louder? Maybe your God's got hearing aids and he can't hear you. Hey, why don't you stir up some dirt? Why don't you make some noise? Maybe he's asleep or maybe he's busy. Maybe he forgot about you. So then they started cutting themselves with swords and spears until they bled, and they continued till night. Then Elijah repaired the altar to God. He put sacrifices on it. He dug a trench around it, and he uh, he said, now fill it up, soak the altar with water. Soak the trench around it with water. They soaked it. He said, now soak it again. They did it again. Now he said, now soak it a third time. They soaked it a third time. Elijah prayed, and fire came down from heaven, and it burned up the sacrifice on the wood. It burned up the wood. It burned up the altar, and it was so hot, it even sucked the moisture out of the trench around the altar. 
There was like this soaking wet, spongy, moist uh, sacrifice, and then there was nothing but dry puff. (laughs) It was gone. Elijah prayed, and that fire came down, and it burned everything up. When the queen heard about this, she sent a messenger to Elijah with this message. She said, by this time tomorrow, I'll kill you. You you showed out, you showed up these prophets that are our prophets, and then had them killed. And so now she swore by whatever, but basically she said, by this time tomorrow, if you're not dead, I might as well be dead. I'm going to kill you. That's where we pick the story up. 1 Kings 19, verse 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid. (laughs) Needless to say, the queen's got it in for you. And ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. I think that's funny. I guess he left his uh, servant as a lookout. Here, you stay here. They'll kill you first. Nah, it'll be all right. You'll be fine. They're not even coming. It was a joke. Stay right here. But scream real loud if you see anything coming. He left him a day's journey. He went in the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he, that he, he, prayed that he might die. In other words, I didn't gave up. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Let me translate that into modern vernacular. I did everything right, and you didn't come through. I did what I was supposed to do. I did it right. You burnt the altar up, and now this queen's going to kill me. Then an angel comes and feeds him and refreshes him and and restores his energy. He runs 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says, to the mountain of God. He goes and hides in a cave. Now we'll pick up at verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. If you have a pen and your Bible's open or you have a way to highlight this on your smartphone, I want you to highlight this question. Then the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? That is a key question. What are you doing here? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What does it sound like? I've done everything right. I mean, I followed the rules. I read it in the scripture. I did it. I did what I thought I was supposed to do. Now they're trying to kill me. And By the way, they didn't kill everybody else. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, here it comes again, the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? That is a key question in life. He replied, look at this, his story has not changed one ounce. I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your coat. Hey, did you not hear me before? The Israelites have rejected your coat, but I want to tell it again. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death the sword, and I'm the only one left now They're trying to kill me. His story hadn't changed at all. When you get miserable, you won't change your story, I promise. You can repeat it exactly the way you've done it ten times. Elijah is at a serious and obvious wall. 
He feels isolated from people. Nobody serves you but me. He feels abandoned by God, and now they're going to kill me. And it never even crossed his mind when he was under the broom bush and when the angel was feeding him and refreshing him and when he ran in the energy that God gave him for 40 days or 40 nights and when he went into the cave in the mountain of God, it never even entered his mind apparently to turn to God for help. What Elijah is saying is, I did everything right, I stared down the false prophets, I proved to the entire world that their God was fake, and you were the real God. And there, that, in my mind, that should have sparked a national revival where the whole country turned back to God. I mean, if, look, if you listen to an evangelist story, them kind of confrontations always turn out something good, right? Every time you do your part, and everything's going to explode for God. Sometimes you do your part and things are going to explode. But instead, Elijah says, I now have a death wish on my head and God's going to let this crazy woman kill me. And what's fair about that? In the middle of this pitiful little scene, God asked Elijah the central question. What are you doing here? When we hit the wall, we're trying to figure out God. Elijah's saying, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that. And God, where are you? Where were you? What are you doing? Why can't I hear you? Why aren't you talking? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you doing? Why don't you kill the queen? Why are you doing something? We're trying to figure God out. What is he up to? Who is he? Why isn't he talking? Why didn't he respond? But God is trying to help us see ourselves as he sees us. God calls us to an inward journey of tearing down the wall one brick at a time. And that inward journey usually has, if you're taking notes, jot these down, at least three pieces. At least three main pieces. Here's the, here's the first piece. When you go up and you reach up to the top of the wall and you start to tear your wall down you got to take it down brick by brick because that's the way you built it. That first brick you reach up for is self-awareness. Now that might sound self-help, psychological, new wave, new age, but hear me out on it. The first brick is a killer and it's painful and the reason that many people when they hit the wall they turn back to an earlier growth stage is because it's so painful. self Awareness. This intuitively feels wrong. To get through the wall, I don't need to know more about me. I need to know more about God. I'm not the answer. God is. That's 100% right. God's the answer, which means you're the problem. Right? Before you receive the answer, you need to better understand the problem. There are points in life that you can't know much more about God until you know a little bit more about yourself. If your growing knowledge of God is not transforming you, it's just information. To transform you, it has to come with a revelation of just how much you need it. Isn't that what happened to Isaiah when he went into the throne room after King Uzziah died? He went in, and as soon as he came in, he saw this massive revelation of God at the same time or before it or after it. Who really knows? Somewhere in that same scene, he says, 
whoa, I'm dirtier than I thought. My lips are unclean. I'm not fit for this. I'm not the right guy for this. My limbs are falling. If you look in the Hebrew, it says, my limbs are falling off. My, My limbs are coming out of joint. I'm coming unglued and unstuck. This is overwhelming to me. The brick is loaded with all the things we see in other people we do not like, but we can't see in ourselves. This is the hidden part of ourself. Taking this brick down is part of finding out who we really are. This is coming to terms with all the myths that we have about ourselves. Look, this is the brick where Moses realized when he struck the rock that he wasn't the obedient leader that he thought he was. What he learned in that moment that he was rebellious instead of obedient. David looked at Nathan's finger pointing right at him and he realized at that moment, I'm not the king of Israel God always wanted. I'm an adulterer, a murderer, and a liar. When Jacob was was wrestling with the angel all night. What he learned about himself was he wasn't who he thought he was. He was a manipulator and a deceiver. The apostle Peter, when he heard the rooster crow that third time, he saw the confused coward that Jesus had been looking at all those months. This is where Elijah really looked inside, and he saw all the broken pieces. He saw the discouragement. He saw the weakness, the doubt, the fear, the depression. This is when God asked you, why are you here? When you hit the wall dead on, God's going to ask you, why are you here? In other words, quit looking out. Look in. Look inside. This is the journey inward. Examine yourself. Who are you? What God is calling you, uh, calls us to at this moment is a journey inward, a journey to look inside. Do you know what you find when you look inside? When the Holy Spirit leads you to a journey inside yourself, do you know what you always see, what we all always see? Greater depravity and bankruptcy than we could have ever imagined. In other words, we're worse off than we thought. We got saved, we started going to church, we started to do the outside things, and other people tell us how good a Christian we are, other people brag on us, other people pat us on the back, and we have learned to, to function on that level of validation, and, and we think we're better off than we are because of our works. But Jesus looks inside the heart, he looks in and he says, come, come let me show you what I see. Come let me show you where more work needs to be done. During this stage, we often experience anger and bitterness and sadness, sometimes regret or grieving what we lost. But all this has to be dealt with and is necessary for us to get to the next brick. The first brick is self-awareness. When you go to the top and you reach for the second brick... The second brick is forgiveness. Forgiveness. This is where we begin to forgive ourselves and other people. This is where we start to accept our own humanity and everybody else's. This is where we start to realize we're more human than we thought. God told Elijah, did you hear in the very last verse, verse 15? He said, Elijah, why are you here? And then he says... Go back the way you came. Retrace your steps. There's some things in your past I want you to look at again, but I want you to look at them through different eyes. I want you to look at them through my eyes, not your own. 
You looked at them looking at them forward the first time. I want you to look at them reflectively looking at them backwards this time. Go back the way you came. Getting through the wall means traveling back down some roads you've been on before. For most of us, the journey through the wall is not a journey forward. It's a journey backward. We have to retrace those steps. I've always been fascinated. Maybe you remember the story Ted Haggard, who was pastor of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. Uh, mega church, I don't remember, 13, 14, 15, 18,000, whatever. Mega, mega church. He was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. In other words, um, the Christian organization in America that connected all evangelical churches together, he was the head of that. Okay? I don't know if you remember his story, though. Um, he, he, when he fell, he, he, there, was, there were drugs, uh, there was some homosexual activity. And I was so fascinated by his... Um, recovery. When he came out, he, he, started, he and his wife started to go to counseling, and they started what I think was the journey inward. And he said he discovered something he had never connected before. It's oftentimes not things you know, it's things you don't connect. When he was in second grade, he worked for his dad, and one of his dad's employees uh, molested him. And he said, I never connected that event to the problems I've had as an adult. I never connected that experience to the problems, to the darkness, to the, to the inclinations, to the things that I've struggled with and now have done as an adult. I never connected those. And, and I'm just saying to you... <laughs> Self-awareness and forgiveness, those are two things that you might say, these apply to everybody else in the room, but not to me. I know myself really well. I would assume that a, a pastor of a church like this and the president of the National Association of Evangelicals thought he was pretty well in touch with himself. Thought he had pretty much forgiven and resolved and healed over some of the issues of his life. But when he hit the wall... He saw some things he had never seen before. He saw some connections he had never seen before. Sometimes forgiveness can be a soaking process. What it means uh, is fully absorbing the fact that we're different people than we thought we were. This isn't just forgiving other people. This is coming to a, a, a sense of greater reality about, about our own brokenness. It's, it's fully absorbing the fact that we're different people. We usually think we're better than we are. Now, Elijah saw himself as this mighty prophet. You're right. This mighty prophet. And I called fire. I mean, soak it again. Get the fire truck over here. Blow that thing up. Soak it again. I want a water park here where that altar used to be. Blow it up. I'm going to call fire down from God. And he did. And he said, I, I am a man of faith. I am a man of prophetic word. I am a man that is powerful in God. Until the queen said, I'm going to kill you. And he hit the wall. And then through a process, he began to see himself as a pitiful, weak, emotional child. Elijah and most of us think that that story is about revival. 
I've heard people share that story and admit, you know, oh, and then, you know, and there was this power confrontation and then revival broke out. You know, uh, uh, the story always ends different in the sermons I've heard than it does actually in the Bible. Power encounter, those prophets were killed, stop there. <laughs> they were killed, God was proven true, they were proven false, woohoo! Except Elijah goes into depression. He runs and hides by himself for a long time. I didn't didn't hear that part. There wasn't a national revival that didn't sweep the country. It didn't, you know, I would think if I saw 450 people cooked to death, I'd I'd go, okay, I'll go with that one. I'll go with door two. It's no problem. But it it didn't happen that way. This story, I don't think, is about revival. I don't think it's about a power encounter with false prophets. I don't think it's about a showdown. I think what this story is about is God's love for Elijah. While Elijah was focusing on the false prophets and the masses externally, God was focusing on Elijah internally. God was surfacing the broken places and bringing to light the shadows and uncovering the dysfunctions of Elijah's own inner life so that God could bring him to wholeness. God had finally, listen to this, God had finally got Elijah in a place where he could speak to him about him. And it takes most of us a long time to get to a spot where God can talk to us about us. We talk to God about us, and we talk to God about other people, and we hear God talk to us about other people, but we don't often hear God talk to us about us. That's the last step. With the first brick we realize that we need God more than we thought. With the second brick of forgiveness, we realize that God loves us more than we thought he did. Then there's the last brick. This is the brick of acceptance. You can look at every ninth grade high school class picture And you can almost tell by looking at the body posture and the faces. Every person has their own way of dealing with life, with pain. There's the class clown. There's the black sheep. There's the scared child. There's the mischievous one, the romantic, the intellectual snob, the overachiever, the jock, the arrogant elitist, the outlandish dresser, the attention seeker, the airhead, the risk taker, the addicted one, the beauty queen, the perfectionist, the people pleaser. We can find that little person in there who's fought so many different ways to deal with the wall, yet just can't in their own strength ever conquer it. But as God's love pours out into our lives, it is a light of deeper revelation of God. And in the warm light of God's deeper revelation, we come to a greater acceptance of ourselves as we truly are are. Not as we thought we were, because none of us are as good as we thought we were. And we realize it's safe to do that, because God knew it all along. (laughs) And he loved us anyway, and he brought us to this point. It's that feeling that if you've ever thought this or said this, I wish I was someone else. I wish I was someone else. I I wish I was more like so-and-so. I wish I was more like him, or I wish I was more like her, 
Or maybe even more painfully, I hate myself. I hate who I am. Or, or maybe you're on the other side of that and you say, I wish more people were like me. Trust me, it's the same problem either way. We don't feel like we have to hide or cover up or manipulate or work to earn God's love. He just loves us. And this is where we embrace ourselves even though we see our glaring weakness. Not because we're perfect or because we can't improve, but because God loves us in our humanity. Now, if you follow the story on further, you'll find something fascinating. Self-awareness, forgiveness, acceptance. I accept myself for who I am in my own brokenness, and I accept those around me for who they are, and I am both loved by God, and I can love the people around me as they are. I don't need to change anybody. I can just love them the way they are. And until you can receive God's love that way, you'll never give it. You'll always be trying to manipulate and turn and push and trush and change a person a little bit here and there. Conform them into what you think they ought to be. But once you, once you let God's love accept you for the way that you are, God will never leave you the way you are. That's not what the wall's about. The wall's about transformation. But, but you've got to start there. After this, something fascinating happens if you follow the story. Elijah's, I, here's what I call it, his real ministry began. He picked up a sidekick named Elisha, and he mentored him. And Elisha eventually took his place when he died. Elijah's legacy, I'm going to suggest to you, was not found in the defeat of the prophets of Baal. I think Elijah's legacy was found in his willingness to allow God to move him through the wall. It's almost like, if you read on, uh, after he comes through the wall, after he hears the gentle whisper of God, then God starts to tell him all these things to do. Go and anoint this person king. Go and set this person up. Go call Elisha. Let Elisha follow you. Then the mentoring starts to, it's almost like now you're worth being a mentor. (laughs) Now you can be a mentor. Now there are other people that I want to actually be like you, but not before. And now, now it's almost like God's saying, now you're finally ready to serve somebody else. So I want to ask the worship team to come this morning, and I want to ask you a question you might want to write down and think about. How would your life be different if you could be healed from your greatest pain? You know, maybe, maybe as a child you were abandoned. Maybe your parents divorced when you were young. Maybe... Maybe one of your parents was verbally or physically or emotionally abusive. Maybe some circumstances have happened in your life. You've battled with chronic sickness all your life. Who, there are many, 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 many stories, many, many possibilities. The thing that has caused you the most pain, the thing, either neglect or rejection or wounding or fear or whatever's done the most damage to you, Either, either through absence or presence. Sometimes a parent being absent can cause a lot of damage. Sometimes a parent being present can cause a lot. Sometimes it has nothing to do with that. Sometimes it's other things that happen. Sometimes it's our choices we impale ourselves on. It doesn't matter the source. The source of the greatest pain of your life 
if you could be completely healed from it, what would your life look like? Is it time for you to climb in that cave and to hear God whisper to you? It's inward. It's not outward. We're going to go to prayer this morning. I'm going to ask the prayer team if you'd come. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me. As I was preparing this message, I just, I just felt like there were some things the Holy Spirit specifically wanted to deal with. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share them with you. And then I'm just going to ask you, as, as you hear, as you have a sense maybe in your gut, or a thought or a picture pops in your mind, you just have some sense inside that this is you. I just, want you to, I just want you to come and find one of the prayer team and just pray in agreement with them. You, you'd be fascinated by the strength that we find when we pray with each other. Absolutely a miracle of Christ's family when we pray with each other. Here's what, here's what I feel the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Are there some things that you need forgiveness for? Are there some things that you need to forgive yourself for? Sometimes it's not that God didn't forgive us or, or even other people didn't. Sometimes we just won't let ourselves go. Is God leading you back down some paths that you've been on before? You feel that when I was talking this morning, something stirred inside you and some memories that maybe you haven't thought about in a long time came back to your mind and you say why is that in my mind I think the Holy Spirit brings those things to us so that we can bring them to him maybe you're re revisiting some of the places where the wall was built this is, this is really really heavy but I want to say it somebody said this to me I don't know three or four weeks ago and, and I, I just I feel like the Holy Spirit brought it back to my mind for today. You're revisiting some of the places where the wall was built. Think about what I'm saying. You need forgiveness. You need to forgive yourself. You're revisiting some places that you have tried to put out of your mind. Man, I, I, I think um, whether you respond today or not publicly is completely... You do what you need to do. I think there are people in, this, in our church dealing with memories of abortion. And maybe best as you can, you've tried to put that out of your mind and it just won't go away. And man, I'm saying these things, forgiveness and acceptance are important for you to heal. If you feel the Holy Spirit's drawing you inward to a greater revelation of who He is, maybe you've been distant from God and you feel God that tug to draw you back. Maybe it's been a while since you felt God's presence and it just feels numb. Here's what I want to say to you if you feel that. Do not interpret numbness as, re as rejection from God. When you feel numb, God is not rejecting you. When you feel numb, God is maturing your faith and he's saying, just fly by faith for a little while and not by feelings. And the most important person in the room to respond to this prayer time may be the one that feels numb. Because you have to come entirely by faith with no feeling. You have to take a step and say, God, 
man, I, 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 I've been doing the right things. I've been praying. I've been doing the best I know how to do like Elijah. And I don't, there's nothing, I don't feel anything on the other side. And I just want to say to you, this is a huge point of decision for you today. Take a step and say, God, I'm not going to operate by what I feel, see, hear, my senses pick up, anything else. I'm going to take a step today of faith and say, I just came to pray today. When you come to the prayer team, I want you to come and just say, I just came today to believe God. I just came today to say, God, I believe you. No matter what I feel, I believe you. Man, that's critical. Critical. If God's calling you to an inward journey, in a minute I want you to come. But here's what I want everybody to do. Everybody in the room, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to begin to pray. And whatever is on your heart, what the Holy Spirit will do will surface things. Whatever has stirred you, whatever has touched you, whatever impacted you, whatever you feel this morning, whatever God is saying to you, whatever you sense, whatever memories have popped, whatever frustrations, whatever pains, whatever whatever fears, what I want you to do is I want you to begin to pray right now, and I want you to bring those to God. I want you to begin to pray whatever's on your heart. Lord, this morning, I need healing. Lord, this morning, I need peace. God, today, I, whether I feel you or not, I'm going to take a step of faith. Lord, today... Whatever's in your heart, Lord, today, I pray you would help me to forgive. God, I pray you would help me to let go. God, today, I pray you'd help me to let go and forgive myself. Lord, I pray today that you would deal with the guilt or the shame or the fear that's in my life. God, today, I reach my hand up and I pull one of those bricks down. Maybe for you, it's acceptance. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's self-awareness. God, I reach up there and say, show me what you want to show me. God, show me about myself. Show me about what you need to show me. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Come on, pray with me. Come and fill this place, Lord. It's in prayer that you'll find God. Lord, come and fill this place, Lord. Come and fill this place, Lord. Come and fill this moment. Come and fill this space, Lord. As the worship team begins to sing now, as God touches your heart, I just want you to respond. and come.